You understand the meaning of the word foreboding. As in badness is happening right now. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Far too kind. Well, you guys are a hell of a duet here. Why'd you start harmonizing? Can I get an encore? Do you want more? Cook and roll with the Brooklyn boys. So for one last time, I need you. Because lobsters live for over 100 years. Now what the hell are you waiting for? For me, there should be no more. So for one last time, make some noise. That's for John Lennon, you Yankee fucking cunt. James gang. The James gang? The James Younger gang. Let's ride! We got three younger brothers and two James brothers. Well, I kind of like the sound of the James Younger gang. Do we even have the same mama? If I were to design the perfect umbrella band... We're famous. This is the gang I'd create. I hear it's all the rage. We're outlaws. Not exactly the most respectable job. Why can't you catch these outlaws? It's going to be a long winter. Were you planning on kissing me? Just use your hand. It's been eight months, so what can you tell me? It's going to be a long spring. Hello, and welcome to Above the Title, a podcast about the career of Colin Farrell and what it can tell us about the changing state of the 21st century movie star. My name is Cole. And I'm Connor. How's it going, Connor? I'm doing all right. I mean... Excited for this one? Pretty, uh... This week, I think, went against my typical movie watching habits. Oh, why? <laughs> especially, what happened? At, especially at this time in the year. No, it's like, you know, usually like watching like stuff for the Oscars and things like that. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. Instead, oh, I watched uh, Flubber and Encino Man and The Blue Streak. And, yeah, your dedication this to this task that nobody asked you to do. I just, I just need to stress this. No one asked Connor to watch every movie by, oh, God, what is even his name? Um, um, Les Mayfield. Les Mayfield. That's yeah. right, listeners. Today we are talking about <laughs> Colin Farrell's. <laughs> this is not the worst movie we're going to discuss on this podcast. I don't know. It, I it know for a fact that this is not the worst movie we're going to discuss filmography in a minute. on this podcast because I have seen a movie coming down the pipe in quite a while. That is one of the worst movies I've ever seen in my life. I think this may be the least interesting But this is film. definitely the least interesting film we're going like, to be talking about. This is a, a Band-Aid. We're just going to... Well, there's that fucking stretch uh, around, like, the turn of the tens that's a real, like, wasteland. But, yeah, man, um, I don't know. yeah. It's I don't just, know. But even those, even, even this, like he's been in bad movies. Let's yeah. just say it. Every, almost every actor, almost every good actor, almost every actor in general who has had a career as long as his has been in bad movies. And many actors are only in bad movies and never get to be in a good movie. Like the, the good movies that exist in the world are outnumbered like 80 million to one by the bad movies that exist in the world. Mm. Um, but it is definitely to see something that like, clearly at the time when it was made had a decently large budget they built a lot of sets they had a decent amount of like equipment and money floating around to see something be this dull and <laughs> this is yeah. almost certainly the least interesting movie we are going 
to ever discuss on this show. And also, if this isn't like a bottom five Colin Farrell movie, then I yeah. I'm going to end up rethinking everything I ever thought about Colin Farrell's body of work. Uh, the movie is the 2001 film American Outlaws, directed by Les Mayfield, in which Colin Farrell plays jesse james let me let me just recap it right now let's just get out of the way twinkie <laughs> yeah. jesse james jesse james his brother frank the youngers cole bob and jim right are their names they go they go to the yeah. civil war they lose spoiler alert they come back to missouri <laughs> when they come back to missouri their town has basically been occupied by the pinkerton detective agency um at, on the behalf of a national railroad that's trying to build through Missouri to get to the West Coast. Um, they attempt to buy the land at a heavily discounted price from everybody that lives in the town. Everybody declines. They just burn people's houses down, kill the James's mother. The James's decide, oh, we're going to you know, hit them where it hurts and rob all the banks that their money is being kept. And that's basically every Jesse James story. Um at least the the more middle of the road ones. He gets married to his wife, who's his childhood sweetheart, and antics ensue. They get in the you know every one of these movies has a heist gone wrong, a bank robbery gone wrong. This one same, you know, typically where the turning point of the movie takes place. It, it's 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 got to be like the most by the numbers western you can think of. You just yeah. lay the story out, hit every T as as you're going along the way. Well, it is it is very explicitly young Jesse James. Yeah, definitely. Like, like if anything, the movie I weirdly thought of when I was watching this, and like this is going to sound insulting, but the movie I weirdly thought of was RRR. Not not that this oh, movie is at I mean, all insulting in this, to rrr yeah it's insulting to RRR. <laughs> yeah. not that this movie is at all like quality wise the same as rrr but more in the idea that it's you know taking taking like a relatively obscure sliver in a real person's life or, or an undocumented sliver in a real person's life and kind yeah. of spinning this very bald-faced you know adventure yarn and and very like nationalist and like rah rah and jingoistic adventure yarn out of it too is the only way this movie compares to RR because RR is good. And yeah, this movie is incredibly boring. I think the thing RR does with those actual historical figures is really interesting. Where this is basically, yeah. I I think I saw on Wikipedia this was like the thirty eighth American film about Jesse James or something I'll like that. I believe it at the time it's making. Yeah, and. Um, I think what RR does with those actual real historical figures is actually like an interesting, it, it has something to say that's interesting about the way we like deify these real people. And, um, where this is a film that's like 35th in the line of, <laughs> you know, an entire <laughs> series of American films about Jesse James. It doesn't say anything interesting that any film before it hasn't said, um, nor does it like take it in a direction that has not been headed in in the movie Westerns. It's, you know, I hate to just say mediocre over and over again, but that's yeah, what it is. This is this this one's going to be a challenge. But yeah, it is like 
I mean, and I think I do think it's interesting that we're three episodes into this show, and this is the second movie we've discussed that has a sort of like Robin Hood criminal as celebrity uh, energy to it. Yeah, that's true. But I mean, at least like ordinary decent criminal, like for all that movie is bad, it has idiosyncrasies. And this is just so inert and obvious. You were saying earlier, not earlier, we're, we're 10 minutes in and we're already calling back. Um, but you were talking about how, you know, this was a fairly, you know, well-funded, decent, you know, it wasn't like some scrappy, cheapo movie. It cost $35 million, which isn't a whole lot. That isn't nothing. No, I'll tell you, um, I, I watched, I found some like special features from the uh, DVD or VHS release on YouTube and I was watching them and they were like, they had all this beside, behind the scenes footage and like a blueprint of the actual like Western set that they yes. built. And it was this, like, they built all these buildings for real, like a church, yeah. a stables, like every, I was like, <laughs> well, they used to do, but like, yeah. I feel like there's. There's there's a, a bromide that is becoming increasingly popular as like the standards of quality of production value of Hollywood cinema has been dropping off in like the past 10 years. And people will talk about this. And usually they I think they they strictly attribute it to celluloid uh, and they're wrong um, that it's it's bigger than that. But they'll, people will say like, oh, it's crazy how some piece of shit. Uh, you know, August programmer from 1997 looks like the best movie ever made these days. And it is kind of nice to go back and watch a movie like this that, like you said, cost a fair amount of money, had a lot of sets built for it, has a lot of stunts, you know, like everything's practical, everything's real. You know, they're clearly putting effort into it. And it looks like ass the entire time and never once like, catches the the eye with anything and it's a nice reminder that hollywood has always pumped out dog shit <laughs> i you know after watching four less mayfield movies in a row yeah, <laughs> why would you do that well i wanted to watch encino man because brendan fraser um yeah is also having a moment you know alongside yeah. Tom farrell it's kind of interesting he is the both of them have had not similar careers but i think like a similar place within popular culture. Um, the way Fraser, they're viewed by fans, the way they're viewed by fans, I think is fairly similar, but interesting. you know, you don't agree. Do you think, do you not agree? No, I don't. I don't. I think, I think Fraser's whole thing is nostalgia in, yeah. in so many ways in a way that Collins, the thing with Fraser is like, per se, he was in so many movies year after He's, year yes. until he hurt his back. And then he hurt his back and he was in yes. nothing because he couldn't move like he physically could not move across the set the way they needed him to move, which is unfortunate. It like breaks my heart that that happened to him. But I think that there is an aspect of, you know, Collins also pains me to say it, but like also aging at, at this moment, this current moment in time, the year 2023. Um, when I think back to like Fraser being in the mummy movies and Colin being in SWAT, and you know those kinds of like trajectories they were on um it is kind of interesting that they're coming to this like acclaim at the same time at least like awards considered acclaim well because they are both pretty boys right yeah 
Like they are both. I mean, I guess the the, the one two punch of why I would disagree with you, and I a, a, as it being a, a really direct comparison, and I think these two things. I don't are think connected. it's. A, I don't think it's an extremely direct comparison. But it's definitely not yeah, a discreet comparison. It, it is that. Yeah, Colin. This is Brendan Fraser's second act right now in 2023. The the yeah. whale Oscar run doing the Soderbergh's being in the Scorsese movie. This is Fraser's second act. This stage of Colin Farrell, I would say, is in fact Colin Farrell's third act. I would agree with that. The, the, the two big differences, I think, are one that Colin Farrell kind of gets the career rejuvenation of working with, you know, McDonough and Lanthimos and becoming like a fairly well-respected character actor that Brendan Fraser never does. And secondly, and I think because of that, people still to this day, when they are talking about Brendan Fraser as like someone they want to win an Oscar, are thinking about him primarily in nostalgic terms. And I think outside of some affection for Daredevil, people do not talk about Colin Farrell in nostalgic terms that 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 is an actor who got to have was given the grace of people respecting the now as much as the then yeah maybe that's because and we're gonna get into it the 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 hot period of colin farrell is not the best period of colin farrell no you know (laughs) well what do we think about let me continue let me continue what i what i wanted to say also in you know thinking of looking back at these like random like 10 minute like dvd special features that i also watched for some reason and like some of the interviews are with les mayfield and i think the first one is him being like we want to look at them when they're young, just like Young Guns did, except it's not Billy the Kid, it's Jesse James. And I was like, this is just emblematic of the whole movie, like having the Western genre in mind, but never like exceeding any aspect of the Western genre in any way whatsoever. Like every comparison you make to it, there's a better movie out there that you could spend your time watching instead of the one that they ended up making. Here's the thing about Young Guns, um, a movie that fully, I, I, I will clarify, I have not seen, um, but I did, watching this, I did definitely have the thought, oh, this movie wants to be a 21st century Young Guns. And I think that the big distinction between Young Guns in this movie is Young Guns is Emilio Estevez, Kiefer Sutherland, Lou Diamond Phillips, and Charlie Sheen. And Dermot Mulroney. And Dermot Mulroney. I don't know, but I I didn't say Dermot because I don't know this about Dermot, but I know this about the other four. After they're famous. Like Young Guns is putting together a team of big, young, hot actors to kind of like overload the screen with with Brat Pack movie star wattage. And A, this movie is instead, I think, trying to call it shot vis-a-vis getting in like you were saying you want to get them when they're young trying to get their hands on who are going to be the stars of tomorrow because like we said last week colin is shooting this when tigerland comes out and absolutely craters um so this is this is again like tigerland in many ways people taking a chance on the potential of colin farrell but i mean who else do we have in this movie besides colin farrell it's Scott Kahn, it's Ali Larder, it's Gabe Mox, 
Gabriel Smith from Small Soldiers. Like the only one of those people who was at all established. Hey man, was, Timothy Dalton. That's different. <laughs> I know they don't. That's count. different. He, he and Kathy Bates don't count. <laughs> Allie Larder, you know, obviously is the biggest name coming into this, to my knowledge, having been eight years old when this movie came out. But Ali Larder, you know, coming off Varsity Blues, coming off House on Haunted Hill, coming off the first Final Destination movie, which yeah. he's really good in. She's your ringer. She's by far the most established person. Yeah. Uh, most established Con, young person in this cast. Scott Kahn has done, of course, Nowhere, uh, which he's great in. And he's also in Varsity Blues, but, you know. And he's, he's also in Boiler Room as a very, very small role in Boiler Room. Head supporting role. Yeah. Yeah, but not a huge role in Boiler Room. No, 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 definitely um, not. Yeah. I and think not he's a huge like role memorable. In 60 seconds. I think he's memorable in both of those movies. Like you, uh, you recognize his face, but I, I hard disagree. And here's why you don't I think so. <laughs> because I watched Boiler Room two weeks ago and I did, in fact, forget until looking at Scott Conn's filmography that Scott Conn is in. Oh my god! <laughs> Which actually, I think we're getting to the real problem here. Scott Con sucks in general, right? Yeah, this was a bad. This he's oh, not. Man, I don't know what was going on. But but no, I'm saying in this. general, Scott Con is like he is extraordinary in the Ocean's movies, which I think is a credit to Soderbergh as a filmmaker. Outside of that. He he's just such a wooden, inert lunkhead of a performer. And I'm looking at his filmography here and like all the good movies he's been in are movies I don't remember him being in. I don't I can't recall any. I'm going to look. I actually did not look at his filmography. I'm looking at it right now. I, I can't recall any movies that I think of him in as having a starring role. So I don't know if I can even make a judgment on his skill as an actor. Like I don't. Oh, what's he's I'm in Hawaii Five O, right? Character actor. Yeah, he's mostly a TV guy right now. Yeah, like he's headlining a he, he's headlining a Fox like missing persons unit procedural that just premiered a month ago. That I'm sure is doing fine. He obviously was on Hawaii Five O. I am just now finding out that he crossed over with NCIS Los Angeles. Uh, as his Hawaii Five O character, Hawaii Five O was probably secretly good, right? I, I, I like, really like Daniel Day Kim. Like I, I know, really like Daniel Day Kim. I know that all of those is it NBC or CBS that does NCIS and all of that. Those are CBS. CBS. Yes. Like I know that people watch those shows. I have never once met one of these people. I like I've never heard you, anybody talk to come up and talk to me about any of those shows. Anyone you know over 50 watches those shows. <laughs> like that is actually what it is. They're working it in with Yellowstone. It's, like the people people then... talk about Yellowstone as being like the vocal mind the the silent majority TV show. Yeah. But like people are I think aware of Yellowstone status as the show that middle America watches NCIS is even more so than that. Like, I mean, maybe not anymore, but it must have back though, in the day or else there, there wouldn't be three different and however many different NCISs there are. I don't know. Do There's you a know, handful of them. Do you know what a Q rating is? No, a Q, Q rating. rating. I don't, I don't know the exact metrics of it, but a Q rating is a sort of number that market researchers will assign. 
um, to like fictional characters and maybe like media personalities to kind oh. of cross-reference determine, I want to say both their like likability and their like brand awareness, right? Like it's basically like market researchers doing a sense of like, who are the fictional characters that are most liked and recognized at the same time. And I know for like a three or four year stretch in like the late 2000s, early 2010s, the goth computer chick on <laughs> NCIS had the highest Q rating of any character on television. Like That's that was crazy. actually the most popular character on television was oh the 40 year old goth chick from NCIS. That was a different time though. Like all yeah. of these, all of these shows existing. Like I'm looking at Hawaii Five O right now and it's like, he was on Hawaii Five O, Scott can, uh, Scott Khan between 2010 and 2020. And I'm like, the second you hit, the second you hit like 2016, there is so much stuff available on streaming that I don't, I don't know who's sitting down and watching like, like, I when you're comparing the stuff on streaming to the stuff that's the regular television broadcast coming out, like I don't really understand who's sitting down to watch the stuff on the, regular I, I, I regret broadcast. to inform to tell you that I, I have just looked it up. And in the 2021, 2022 TV season, um, NCIS was in fact still the most watched scripted show on that's television. Crazy, man. I mean, um, I believe it. Like I, I only to, behind but... Sunday night and Thursday night football. Hell yeah, brother. And then again, I'll write down this. <laughs> It's America, man. It's NCIS. It's FBI. It's Chicago Fire. Weird that it's Fire and not PD. It's Blue Bloods. It's the Equalizer TV show with Blue Latifa. It's Young Sheldon, and it's Chicago PD. Like uh, I'll tell you, I'll tell you something. I've been around a few, like every set I've been around in television or film production in the New York City, New Jersey, Connecticut region. Everybody who has, everybody who is over the age of 35 that i've met has either worked on blue blue bloods or like equalizer or what you know any one of those shows like blue bloods equalizer and uh there's got to be like a third or fourth one but it's crazy um because i don't know who watches these uh mayor uh, old people watch these yeah we are so we so don't fucking want to talk about it. I think we got to cut out. We got to we got to go back and cut out some of this. Stuff. No, we're not cutting out any of that. We need we need to hit an hour. We'll hit an hour. OK. Um, um, but yeah, Scott Khan, I just I think know. is kind of an inert actor. And that is, I think, part of the problem is you're, you know, hitching your wagon to these guys who aren't very exciting. And then like the other big guy in this movie is Gabriel Mott, who I guess was on suits another show i did not watch he's like actually good in this movie though he is not good in this movie. he's i think he's not i think whenever he came on screen i felt like a little bit of relief i was like okay this guy's hitting his lines he's hitting his marks okay <laughs> yes he's hitting his lines <laughs> you know <laughs> i think there are two good performances in this movie and one of those i'm being very generous towards. well i like let's just get out of the way first he tried the southern. He tried the western accent, Tigerland. Colin's yeah, not southern. even. He's not even remotely trying oh, accent. It. Like he's like, I'm just using my Irish accent, and we're gonna roll yeah, with it. And everybody, it's, it's got like twelve percent of a twang. But here's the thing: it actually kind of sounds good. Like it doesn't bother me in this movie that he's mostly just doing the Irish. 
I think I think it would make sense if the other actors were playing it a little bit that way. But instead, they're going so hard with the Southern Western that that's the only thing that makes the Irish like really stand out because it's not it's not an over the top like Lucky Charms Irish that he's doing. He is he did tone it down. He's just not adding any Western or Southern to it. Like he's really just speaking with toned down Irish accent, like a muted Irish accent. Yeah, you'll see this sometimes with um, British and Irish actors. I think mostly British actors where they have a like minimal version of their regular accents that they ease their de facto American accents. And I just kind of find it funny. I think the most obvious example of this is, did you see the menu? No, I haven't watched it yet. Like halfway yeah. through the menu, you find out that Ray finds his character is from Iowa. Oh, what? But he's just <laughs> speaking in like a more muted version of his own accent the whole movie. Statham does this all the time, too, where like Statham has a like slightly less intense accent that is his just default. I'm a good old American boy voice. And but I don't know, maybe it's because this movie just is so dull but I was not ever annoyed by the fact that everyone else is doing this like deep South twang and Colin is, is not. And if anything, I was like less annoyed by it than his attempts to get an accent down in Tigerland, even though Tigerland is demonstrably a better performance than this. Yeah. This is a, he's bad in this movie. Yeah. There's the beginning of the movie, like the, the the origin story of jesse james he's atrocious and i can't i don't know like but it's shot so blandly (laughs) as well that like it's it's hard to tell if that's if if he just came in unprepared or if like there was no editing done at all to like mediate to mediate the fact that there's two people performing lines against each other like in front of a camera crew because i think that's like a very underrated aspect of filmmaking skill is like anybody can shoot two people just saying lines to each other in front of a camera crew, but only like filmmakers, I'm not even saying like the best filmmakers, but only filmmakers with like some idea of uncovering like the most minimal layer of truth within that performance, place the camera in a spot that like kind of folds away the fact, the artifice, of the movie making um because i think that's like a hallmarker of all bad films is like you can all bad films the in dramatic scenes the viewer feels like they're literally a step behind the camera like they're watching the Uh. performance take place like out on the stage in front of the scene um and this film has a lot of that especially in the beginning i when once he starts shooting the guns colin gets to come to life a little bit and he's a little more fun to watch it's not good though. <laughs> I mean, there, there <laughs> at are no points, point is he good. <laughs> I mean, I think this is this is not like a bad performance, and then he's he's trying to do something and failing. This is a bad performance in that he has been given nothing to work with, nothing to work with, and isn't trying anything. Like he's just completely phoning it in, hitting his mark, saying his lines, and I he has like a natural enough charisma that sometimes it pops up but you know i was talking about how you know in ordinary decent criminal even though he isn't given a whole lot to do in that movie you can you can tell that he's listening 
constantly. Yeah. This guy does not seem to be listening. This guy seems to be just clocking in and clocking out. That movie's silly. And I feel yeah. like Thaddeus O'Sullivan had a that, that could not even be his name that I'm saying right now. The director You're of the expert had your um, guy. Yeah, it watching that movie makes it like you could you could understand that he was aiming for something. He clearly like didn't hit it, but he was aiming for something. And I think you can see in most of the actors that they're like, oh, this material is fun. And it's based off of this guy in real life who did these crazy things that nobody like that would be unbelievable if he was purely a fictional character. I think what makes movies like American Outlaws such a struggle to get through when you're watching them is because you know that they're based on real people and it like over fictionalizes those real people and also like dumbs down the idiosyncratic experiences that they lived through in order to make it like more digestible to the viewer. And it's like all of those historical recounts, like those movies that are like interesting historical recounts, but still fictive in some way, in my opinion like they're most fun when they lean into the craziness of real life when they lean into the 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 -the over-the-top exaggerated things that these people actually lived through that again wouldn't be believable if it was just a fictional character that somebody had just made up and which jesse james is definitely has a lot of that going on in his biography that this film strays from completely and replaces with just like chase on a train chase out in the middle of a town square like a bunch of horses running around. I could watch I mean, any Western and see that. If you ever want to say anything bad about Gore Verbinski, like watch this movie first and watch how completely inert and kind of lazy and almost like half asleep all the action scenes are, even when they have things like Colin Farrell gets into a gunfight on top of a speeding train, which like, sounds like something from a Verbinski movie that should be exciting. But to what you were saying about like wackiness in a way, there is, I think, a a potential to kind of toss history aside and play things out in this very maximalist, silly fashion. And this movie like gestures toward that, but is so lazy. It's not even this movie is sloppy. (laughs) This movie is not sloppy. This movie has the like laziness of a network procedural, right? Like, like that. And and that defangs, I think the fact that I think this movie thinks it's like a comedy in a way. It thinks it's like comedy. It thinks it's like, it thinks it's like punk rock for young people. Like we're introducing punk rock to the Western. Like there's, in young, in young Guns, it's like Bon Jovi did the soundtrack. Okay. Yes. Yeah. And you and you know, that movie was like, we're introducing rock and roll to the West. It was kind of like what made that movie popular, what made that movie a blockbuster that people remember. I feel like this is attempting to do literally the same exact thing, but with like off-brand alternative rock from the early 2000s. Ooh. And <laughs> I didn't even think about that. But um there's a bit in this movie where they're robbing a train and the way the train robbery goes is like 
as the train's going down the track, it keeps passing members of the gang on horseback, holding up signs, <laughs> yeah. being like robbery ahead. Like it's a fucking Burma shave gag. And then when they get past the last sign, they turn the bend and see the James gang have blocked the track with a big cart with big cartoon like barrels of TNT on the cart, which is a fucking Looney Tunes gag. It is right. Yeah. Like that could be funny and you watch it and you're just like am i supposed to take this seriously is this a joke and it's it is again it is that kind of like you know workaday laziness to this whole movie that that makes even stuff that seems like it's supposed to be a big you know wacky set piece just completely fall flat on its face especially because the punchline to the scene is like an interminable minute long shot of them picking up each barrel and like holding it to the camera to show it was empty. Ooh, they tricked them for like unceasing. Do you understand? Time. Do you understand what I mean when you watch that scene when it's like you feel like the viewer is a step behind the camera yes, and can see 100%. the artifice of it? Because when you're watching that scene, you're not watching them like lift up the barrels to show them to the, the drivers of the trade. You're watching an actor be told by a director, hey, you need to lift that barrel up and slowly tip it forward so that we could see it's empty in a way that like no human would ever do in real life. And because it's shot and edited and directed in such a way, like all you can see is the fact that Gabriel mocked is like strained to smile in every scene because he's been told that he's like a happy go lucky demeanor towards this bank robbing and train robbing and everything that he's I doing. Mean, if we can just segue on mocks for a second and I can get on on my little soapbox here, go for it <laughs> uh, and, and fight the fight that only I want to fight. Have you seen the spirit? Yes. Yes. The, the spirit yeah. is a movie that only I like. And I think is like a quiet masterpiece. Um, because Can I ask you some questions because I don't remember. Um, sure. Did Frank Miller direct? Frank Miller wrote and directed The Spirit. Yes. Is Samuel Jackson in The Spirit? Samuel Jackson plays the octopus in The Spirit. Okay. Yes. I'm thinking of the same film that you were thinking of. Everyone hates The Spirit because the the comic books that The Spirit is based on are like for all the iffy racial politics that they have and that they're iffy those things are like deeply moving and exciting and somber and clever and funny and the spirit movie on the other hand is frank miller doing this like zonked out self-parody of frank miller stuff of sin um, city you know yeah it really it's, it is frank yeah. miller making fun of sin city for two hours, which is great. And, and Gabe Mock gives this like wonderfully winking, uh, you know, square jawed camp performance in the lead as the lead in this completely ludicrous movie, the type of movie where a fucking Looney Tunes gag happens every five seconds and everyone keeps barreling ahead, like playing it deathly straight. That is, I think the sort of comedy this movie is going for. It, and, and it hurts. I know the spirit comes out seven years later. This movie was released in August of 2001, by the way, a little over 2000 screens. Forgot to mention that. Just want to put that out there. Um, is Gabriel Mock like supposed to be mugging for the camera? And to go back to your thing about our awareness of ourselves as viewers. Is there not something to be said for a Jesse James action comedy that leans into vaudeville as an aesthetic? 
because that is another like thing this movie some point gestures to because it is so performed to the camera yes but, but i like, don't think that's intended i think that's an accident you, you are, think you, left- you think the gesturing towards like performative is yeah. an accident I, I don't i don't know if it's an accident i i my suspicion is that stuff must have been in not in the dialogue but in the descriptive parts of the script to get anybody on board that's my guess I don't know what to make of this at all other than to say it's bad. Like, So I, I think earlier, I texted you. I texted you. While I was watching it. I was literally four <laughs> minutes in. I was like, I want to turn this off. And like I said, like I, I typically can sit through anything and see no man. I was like, this is fine. There's a caveman. He's doing <laughs> crazy stuff. The movie makes no sense whatsoever. It took me, it took me, it took me like five hours to watch this because I kept on like coming up with excuses to go do chores or whatever. Yeah, man. Uh, we Flubber, also, push, which is also, yeah. we also have to push movie. our record. Yeah, uh, for this one, and I normally try to watch the movies right before we talk about them, but now it's been twenty four hours, and it is just dissipating out of my brain. It is such a nothing of a movie. Um, I did say there were two performances I liked though, and Should I wanted I guess to guess what they are. You can if you want to. I just wanted to run them past you. I don't want you to. Thought. You just run them past me. <laughs> okay. Let me. Yeah. I'm okay. This first one, I'm not going to make the case for this being a great performance, but I am going to say I like enjoyed the movie about twenty percent more when he was on screen, and that is Tim Dalton as Anthony Pinkerton. Yeah, yeah. By the standards of late period Timothy Dalton movie performances, this is kind of half-assed and inert, and he's not as central to the movie as the movie's antagonist as Timothy Dalton playing Anthony Pinkerton should be. He's kind of just there in the background, but he's doing this thick Scottish brogue and he's Timothy Dalton's just such a naturally charming person that you're kind of into. It. Are you a bond guy? We've never had the bond conversation. I, we've minimally had it and I'm a huge okay. bond guy. You are a huge <laughs> bond guy. Where yeah. do you fall in the Daltons? I, I like, I like, um, man, I can't have any issues with the titles. I like the one that it's, it basically is like a Miami Vice movie. License to Kill. Yeah, License to Kill. What's the other one? The Living Daylights? Living Daylights. I prefer The Living Daylights. I it's like a better movie. I like The Living Daylights a lot when you're watching them like chronologically, because once you like, you get through the Roger Moores and then Living Daylights, like, the first half of that movie seems so much more stylized than any of the final three Roger Moore movies, like by far, maybe even the last four Roger Moore movies. And you really start getting into with, with that movie, with the living daylights, you really start getting into the, like the modern suaveness, like the modern stylization that the Craig movies like heavily rely on. And while I have some, issue with some of the things that happens in the Craig movies. I do appreciate that aspect of Bond a lot and I like that it's in the Dalton ones is when it's first seen. Yeah, I I like both the movies quite a bit. I don't think either of them I would put as like top tier Bond movies, but I like them both. I like um, He's maybe my favorite Bond though as a performer. See, and it I, is I that sort of here. Yeah, interesting. <laughs> yeah. But it is for me it is that thing you said about like a contemporary sort of charisma that like yeah. Daniel Craig is riffing on, but also that he is just so 
brute force and direct and intense like especially as such a nice counterbalance from Roger Moore that I just find him so enthralling to watch in those movies and I honestly think that's a characteristic of him as a performer that has only grown as he's gotten older and even in a movie like this where you're sitting there being like it's Alan Pinkerton he should be the primary antagonist (laughs) he shouldn't just be a generic heavy you're still kind of enraptured it is kind of a a smaller version of the hot fuzz performance it is which i think is his best performance he's ever given i my my feelings about dalton in those movies as bond is that i appreciate what he's aiming for i don't do not think he was on the same page with the other actors that he's in that's why i like it you you, (laughs) we're in total agreement but that's such a cool energy for james bond to have it is, but he's so, he's so like, I'm, I don't know what I'm trying to say. He He's not like a ticking time bomb, but he's so, he's such like a ball of like, okay. So Dalton really plays it like this guy's a killer and yes. he's like, where I think Connery has that in a couple of the films, but Moore never has that, that like. This guy's main job is that he kills people and like I have to act him with the psychology of a man who kills people for a living. And Dalton, I think, was the first of the Bonds. It's every, everybody has said this about him. It was the first of the Bonds who really like worked that psychology into like his main aspect of the performance. I think where the issue comes in is like the in those films, not so much in the Craig ones, but those films still want to portray kind of the like slapstick relationship with Q and his more screwballishness with the Bond girls. And it doesn't work when Dalton is very clearly internalizing this like inner conflict of I have to kill people like day in and day out. I completely agree with everything you're saying, except that I just take the opposite conclusion. That I, I very much like that tension. And I do think yeah. it's especially interesting in Living Daylights. Um, because Living Daylights is such a clearly a Roger Moore script. Yeah, uh, yeah. In the same way that, I don't know if you know this. Did you know that he almost stepped in as early as For Your Eyes Only? Yeah, I did. Yeah. For Your Eyes Only is clearly a script written for Dalton that Moore is doing. And Daylights very much feels like a script for more that Dalton is doing. And I, I think those two movies are like, I like them more than I think most bond heads do because of the weird tensions that come from performer and everything else in those movies. Let's go down. What's your favorite Connery? Oh yeah. It's Goldfinger. I think I know that's boring. Oh, it's man. Goldfinger. It's clear. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Everybody's on the same page with Goldfinger. What's your I know. favorite more then of the bunch? Oh, no, it is. I mean, it's Spy. It's Spy. Again, boring, yeah. but Spy Who Loved Me is like the platonic ideal in so many ways of a James Bond movie. Uh, I do notice that you skipped Lazenby. Well, there's only uh, one, so you can't yeah, say Yeah, well, like, that's all, but that oh, is that's the my best, favorite Lazenby. But that's the best Bond movie. You've told me that before, It's a, I heavily disagree. <laughs> it's 100% the best Bond movie. It's the only Bond movie that I think is like an out-and-out masterpiece. It's the only Bond movie that I like beyond how it functions as a bond movie i i casino royale works that no. way with me that no. works casino what's royale, your favorite what's your favorite more my favorite more is also a spy love me what's your yeah. favorite uh what's your favorite brosnan 
Brosnan is, this is another probably easy one. Goldeneye. Yeah, Goldeneye. Yeah. Goldeneye is a top five Bond. Now, here's where we're disagreeing. What's your favorite Craig? Yeah, it's my Casino Royale. Yeah, it's easily yeah. Quantum of Solace. And Casino Royale is undeniably my Quantum film. of Solace. <laughs> I love Quantum of Solace. Here's the thing about Casino Royale. Everything you're going to say about Casino Royale, I'm going to agree with and say that it's good. Yeah, yeah. But there is an hour of poker in the middle of that movie that is unwatchable. I don't know if it is, though, because it's like it's, it's really un- no, no, no. watchable. It's, what really happens is like there's a hand of poker and then he gets in a fight with a guy in a stairwell and then there's a hand of poker and then he's got he got poisoned. And he has to run out to his you car. also forget then, that there's an interminable action scene where he like stops a plane from taking off. That's, like, that scene is amazing. That scene <laughs> sucks. It's so boring. There's so much fat on Casino Royale. That is my problem with Casino Royale. I think a there is I there's like. a little bit in the action scenes, but like the action scenes are so well yeah. spaced out. You like, know what movie has zero fat? Is Quantum of Solace. Yeah, because they were movie, like, let's make a born movie. Yeah, yes. That's what they did. <laughs> it's a movie about how much born movies suck. It's also the only Bond movie where he never sleeps with the Bond girl because it's actually her story, and that's cool. It also has Gemma Arterton in it. Yeah, and she dies. You're not going to tell me that the one and that Gemma cares. Arterton is in isn't the best one in any category. I think it's the third best Craig. It's the one. best Craig. I think Casino Royale is the third best Craig. So we're in inverse agreement. What do you put in the middle? No time to die. I don't. I, I didn't really it's like got on it to Armist. Okay. Yeah. The thing about No Time to Die is I will concede that that movie is on Her Majesty's Secret Service fan fiction. Yeah, <laughs> it is. <laughs> if that, if Leia Saydu and Daniel Craig had chemistry, like that that's movie, where the movie that's why it doesn't masterpiece. work. That's why it doesn't work. The movie works so much in spite of that, though. It's so much though. fun. Come I don't on. think. And if, bad... if Malik was good, and if yeah. Saydu and Craig had chemistry, and they have better chemistry in that one than they do in Spectre. They do, but it's still it's still yeah. like the chemistry of like it's still the chemistry of like an old businessman who yes. is on a weekend with his daughter's roommate from it's, Sarah Lawrence University. It's, <laughs> it's a smoosh of a complicated rewrite. But if that movie had started like it does with him being like, I can't trust you, we have to break up and then had like Ava Green come back from the dead somehow and then she's the one who has his kid and the whole movie plays out the same way with Ava Green 10 out of 10 right but it didn't though but, but it, it didn't do. <laughs> but it, 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 it so kicks ass it has great action scenes did you know it's the only one to use vocals from the theme song in the score I found this out recently. The vocals from the so. What do you mean? Ev- every oh, Bond from the, movie from the Billie from Eilish song. The Billie Eilish song, and that's in Ev- the score. Yeah, like every the actual- every Bond movie has since Goldfinger has like extrapolated melodies from the song into the score of the film. That's a thing they do. Yeah, but yeah. with No Time to Die, somebody working for Hans Zimmer, <laughs> Hans Zimmer takes credit. <laughs> but come on. Come on. Um, like actually like took her like like moaning 
over like the the bridge of that song i think it is and like slowed it down and buried it in the mix and like worked it into bits in the score in the middle of the movie like you can hear it if you know to listen to it i mean that's cool i don't think the action scenes are that good i like them a lot i I like the one i like the one when they're in norway and they're going through the woods i like that sequence i don't really care much for cuba i don't really (laughs) the ending of the movie is like such a chore for me it's so the last like 35 minutes for me is very hard to get through i will give you this olive branch. well no actually i don't even think i will (laughs) because the the yeah no i think it has better action than casino royale casino Uh, royale has really good action at what it's doing yeah casino Casino royale Royale is what about the parkour chase at the beginning of casino royale it's not that cool it's It's not but it's it's better than 14 years old it's better than no time to die most no because i want to see the once you realize that like the Bond movies are ultimately about stuntmen doing ridiculous freefalls. Like that's 90% of the appeal of the Bond movies. The the like super minimalist action in Casino Royale kind of just doesn't scratch the itch. It's I, not I, though. He's uh, he's running through <laughs> the construction sites, jumping off the cranes and everything. A, a, a view to a kill is like one of the worst movies I've ever seen in my life. But the bit where they jump off the Eiffel Tower, ooh, <laughs> better than anything. Okay, we. I wish there was a way we could get back into Bond. Do you think Colin would have been a good Bond? Um, I actually don't. I don't either. I've He's been thinking too about much this of a rake. A the energy's lot, really. Yeah, yeah. I was. I was having this exact same thought watching this movie because, I mean, obviously he was too famous by the time they're coming to recast. Mm-hmm. But Brosnan's Irish and Connery's yeah. Irish. Another thing. And, yeah. This is my other thing. I have a firm belief that you need bonds ultimately fit into two camps, which is thugs and dandies. And you need to switch between the two. Um, and Colin's a dandy. Yeah. The 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 bonds, okay. Connery, uh Dalton, and Craig are the guys who beat you up in a bathroom and slit your slit your throat. Lazenby, Moore, and Brosnan are the guys who sleep with your wife and get the information that way. And you need to tag back and forth between those two extremes, right? I, I don't know if you have to flip flop them, but they have. But, but they I think, have. I think the problem history. with uh, I think the problem with Colin is that he's too. I don't. I, I don't know if he's intense enough to do either of them the yeah. way the bond needs to be. And that's not saying that he can't be intense in films. It's like his brand of intensity. If he goes the dandy route, he's too comedic. Yes. I think to, to fit the, he's, he's too socially comedic to yes. fit the like very interpersonal comedy of like the campy bomb bond films. You, you, you and I think see if him, especially like the, the man he's going to grow into and the performer he's going to grow into, you can see him wanting to like take the piss out of it. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly it. And I mean, in the thug, if he goes the thug route, he, he beat, he would go so, but he, yeah. But the thing with him is he would go so hard into it yes. that you wouldn't, you wouldn't be able to like, cause 
every Bond film is also like an excuse to see a man wear like the most well-tailored tuxedo like ever put to creation. And what I love about Craig is he can do both. But I think if Farrell went the thug route, he would go so hard into the thug route that the second he started putting on the suit and wearing the nice Omega watch and everything like that, it would be just completely unbelievable. Like the second he would start flirting with a woman and the other, the other concept of Bond that I think always has to be there is like, you always have to feel like he's genuinely in love with these women, even though he's almost always sleeping with them for a purpose. You would never, mm-hmm. I don't think that would ever breathe through with like the thug mm-hmm. Colin Farrell. Did you see that interview he gave where he said that he was the one who insisted on all the prosthetics for the penguin? Because he really liked the idea of playing someone. I'm, I'm going to say this reductively. I let me let me choose the right. He said he started to really get into that character more when he started thinking of as someone who was fat and ugly and scarred and therefore was always an outcast and was like lashing out In because the, of that. And that's why of who he is. And that's <laughs> why he wanted to be under all that makeup in the penguin. He would have been a terrible James Bond. <laughs> Yeah, I'm sorry. He's, I mean, okay. Have you seen the recruit? <laughs> no, I, I've, I've seen like, I feel like I've seen a lot of it. Cause I feel like it was on TV like often and I'd be like, Oh, a spy movie. I turn it on. I can't, I, I don't, I don't know a single thing that happens in that movie. I know Al Pacino's in that movie. Yeah. That's all he, I know. And especially with like, we are seeing how willing he is just phone it in, in a movie like this. You, you don't want a bond. Who's going to phone it in. That's why more got rough. Yeah, I don't he's think half he would sleep for the back half. I never want to say that he would phone it in. I I will say about American Outlaws, like I was watching the special features. They're doing all the behind the scenes stuff. They said it was like most of the days when they were shooting, it was over 100 degrees. Like they were oh. going through like hundreds of bags of ice every day just to keep like water cold for them. And they look miserable. And like they show like they're doing interviews with all the young cast members and and Gabriel Mock is trying to say something interesting about Frank being like a renaissance man and things like that, being interested in poetry, despite being a soldier. Collins is more like, wow, I can't believe I'm in America making a Western like that's crazy. I never would have thought. And then. They, they cut to Scott, Scott Con, who's just like blankly staring ahead with a thousand yard <laughs> stare, like probably just comparing where he is at that point in his life to the things that his dad was doing, I imagine. And being and and it, when you when you watch interviews like that, it's always hard to project like what they were actually feeling. But it's it's hard to imagine that they didn't realize that they were making like a garbage movie and that they were miserable from the conditions and more so along the lines of like i just got to finish this thing because nobody's gonna watch it and i just got to be done with it so i can move on to the next phase of my life and the next thing i'm gonna do which sucks it, like it sucks yeah. that somebody somewhere spends that much money on this 35 thing. million yeah. dollars <laughs> um i just want to shout out because we we caught on to the goddamn bond tangent um but the 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 one performance in this movie that i do in fact think is legitimately quite good uh is will mccormick as bob younger yes yes who i think locks in to the comedy of the movie and 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 kind of locks into a 
different take on the comedy of the movie, which is how ridiculous it is that these like dumb, illiterate, nobody like people, guys who weren't even good enough to be in the Confederate army. They were they were bushwhackers. They were guerrillas that these guys become celebrities and kind of really plays up the not like he's like winking at the audience, but kind of is really locked into how kind of dumb and emotionally volatile uh, this guy is as like the sixth most important member of a five man gang. Um, (laughs) And he's just he, he, he does always spark up the screen. Do you know anything about Will McCormick, by the way? No, I don't think I know anything about him as a performer. He I mean, he acts he acted a lot. He did a lot of TV, a real character actor thing. But he hardline pivot pivoted a couple years ago. Uh, He is now primarily rights animation. He was on the story team for Toy Story 4. And a couple years ago, he won a fucking Oscar. Uh, because he wrote and directed the school shooting short that one best animated short that Netflix put out and put all that money behind. Oh, wow. He wrote and directed that. So Good he's like, a, <laughs> yeah, he's like a semi prestige animation guy now, which is cool. He's the only Oscar. Oh, he, but Kathy Bates, of course. He yeah, and Kathy, Kathy Bates, Bates are the only Oscar winners attached to this goddamn movie. Maybe not. Reunion between Kathy Bates and the Khan family. Oh, yeah, that is yeah. weird. Did you know that I'm kind of named after Cole Younger, the guy that's kind of really? plays in this movie? Kind of. Have you seen The Long Riders? No, never even heard of it. It's a it's it's a Jesse James. It's a it's a James Younger film oh. by um, Walter Hill in 1980, okay. and it's like everybody in the film that's a sibling are played by actual siblings. Oh, so who plays Robert Ford and his brother are Christopher Guest and David Guest. And then the the youngers are the Carradines. So David is Cole and Robert is Bob and Keith is Jim. And then um sorry, I can't remember who plays Jesse James and Frank. It's uh James Keach and Stacy Keach. Oh my James's. god. Yeah. Oh my god. This sounds good. It's pretty good. Yeah, it's pretty good and it's it's uh it definitely pulls from Peck and Pa, but it's Walter okay. Hill. So if you've seen, you know, I, I, any I Walter Hill. Seen, film, I've seen a yeah. fair amount of Walt Hills. Um from what I understand, I was reading reviews on American Outlaws. It was mentioned like repeatedly as kind of like the de facto, like the de facto authentic telling of the James Younger gang story. Um it's a good movie and it's out. you watch that movie and then you watch this one. And you're like, I don't know why they have bothered to make this one. <laughs> this movie already exists in a much better form than the one they're trying to make right now. Did you, did you read the Ebert review? I did. This yeah. movie? I just want to read the, the opening of the Ebert review. Oh my God. Because I, I literally pulled the same exact thing <laughs> because I think it's funny. Like yeah. Ebert is funny, but I think he very succinctly identifies what's wrong with this movie in three sentences. Um, I just want to read this for years. There have been reports of the death of the Western. Now comes American outlaws proof that even the B Western is dead. It only wants to be a bad movie 
and fails. And that's really it, right? That all this is, is junky August programming. And I read the next line. Yeah, you can keep reading. Yeah, imagine I, the I cast like of the American Pie given a camera, lots of money, costumes and horses and told to act serious and pretend to be cowboys. And this is what you might get. Yeah, but I, but I do think the thing about like, it, it's not even like, it's a bad B-Western, right? Yeah. That it just wants to be junky, disposable programming. And it fails at that. And people didn't go see it. It made like $13 million. It was a flop. We are now two flops in a row for Colin Farrell movie star. So like, this is not a total disaster because they fucking released this one. I'm still mad on Joel Schumacher's behalf, by the way. I know. That I know, they know. straight up didn't put that movie in theaters. I can't believe I can't believe it either. You know, I give that film four stars on Letterboxd. I stand you by liked it. it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I um, was I was a little more mixed on it than you, but I think it's a really interesting movie that does a whole lot well. I think this it's interesting not. enough. I think it's interesting enough that I can live with the things I don't like about it. I like, love I love I could, that answer. That's a great yeah. way to think about movies, dude. I can I easily know. I can easily re- recommend it to somebody to be like this is an interesting take on the mentality of like yeah. Americans who are being shipped off to Vietnam. Um but this but this one is like r- just straight into that like whole of like one star, one and a half star, two stars. Doesn't really matter once you, <laughs> once you get into that point. So I so I do have one last thing I wanted to get into with this movie. I don't know about you. I don't know if you've I've got a few things I want to say. The, I don't know if yeah. I want to say about this movie. I want Fair. I, I want to make a case for Casino Royale to you. <laughs> you don't need to make the case for Casino Royale. America made the case for Casino Royale. I'm aware I'm out on a limb about it, but I'm telling you listeners, there's a fucking hour of unwatchable poker in that movie. You know what movie has less poker than Casino Royale does? The Card Counter, a movie about <laughs> poker. You know what movie has less poker than Casino Royale? Rounders. You know what movie has less poker than that Casino does not, Royale? Rounders does not have less. Molly's Rounders game. does not have less poker I'm than Casino Royale. I'm still watching. I'm still watching the poker game. And, in and Molly's, game, Molly's Game is a bad movie. Molly's so. Game is a fucking masterpiece. Molly's Game is a bad Molly's movie. Game fucking <laughs> rules. I will I like, watch uh, Molly's game any day of the week. I like when she falls off the skis at the beginning. That's yes, I hate the Costner <laughs> shit at the end of that movie. The Costner. But I fucking love I was th- I was Molly's wondering game. if you were gonna bring that up. Him I, being like ugh. him being like, you should have told me because I'm your dad. I'm here to what does he say? He says something like that, right? I'm they your dad, I'm gonna solve all your problems. Yeah, he, he didn't know that she was running an illegal poker game and got like harassed by the mafia in New York. <laughs> no, that's a terrible scene, and that's like a great example of Aaron Sorkin hating women. But hey. the thing about that movie is that uh Brian Darcy James is in it, Michael Sarah's in it, like that movie just fucking rules. There's like 800 like shitty Russian character actors in that movie, like oh. It's the it's the it's the Sorkin directed movies. I love how all of them end with a moment where you as the viewer are like, what the hell? Yeah. <laughs> like, why did he put this in here? That with the with the Costner stuff. Then you get trial of the Chicago seven when it's like the triumphant. He stands up and reads all the names at the end of the trial, which is not something that happened in real life. And then <laughs> it's not. No, no, that's not true. 
it kind of is. <laughs> it kind of is, but not the way, not the yeah. way that the movie portrays it at all. And then Ricardo's it's American like, names. You get <laughs> you get him being like, I have um Jagger Hoover on the phone. Can I fucking sidebar about being the Ricardos? A movie that I do think is like kind of entertaining. Um, I, I think I like more than most people. Aaron Sorkin's weird project where he wants to make movies about leftists like historical leftists and have them spout like fucking i'm for her ass fucking jonathan chait ass fucking (laughs) neoliberal bullshit as their like historic philosophy the fucking like psychotic trick that he does in that movie to imply that desi arnez's family fled cuba fleeing castro right he (laughs) they keep on making references to the fact that he's a cuban refugee and that revolutionaries like burned his house and his family had to flee and they were going to kill them all of which is true but sorkin keeps dancing around and like implying that it was castro who did that to the arnezes and that's why lucy needs to renounce her communist party membership when that movie is fucking set during the Cuban revolution <laughs> and the Arnez family fled Cuba to flee Batista. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like that is, that is maybe more egregious than the fucking bit in trial, the Chicago seven where Abby Hoffman says we have a revolution every four years, which made me want to like shoot myself in the head. But here's the thing about Aaron Sorkin. He writes really good dialogue. He writes such, he writes, it's, it's not that it's always good. It's just, it's the rhythm of his dialogue. Like he has, there's a musicality to Aaron Sorkin that just like, it's just entertaining to watch. And it really like ropes you in. But like, you know how everybody, this is kind of a hot take that I have. Like everybody talking about at the turn of the decade, how, uh, the social network is actually like the best film of the 2010s and I, like it's up there i went back and rewatched it and i was like this is genuinely a great film but there are parts of it that are like they're over sorkin there are there are parts that fincher can't get around that are over sorkin i think you don't agree the best david fincher movie i think 100 percent. no yeah but speaking of bullshit distortions of american history uh, I do want to touch on this because I thought this was interesting. This movie is called American Outlaws, right? And I think that title is part and parcel with this sort of vague Robin Hood rebellion against tyranny, recasting the James Younger gang as like, you know, revolutionaries in like a, a grand patriotic sense, right? Like that's why it's called American Outlaws. But the movie yeah. starts and they're bushwhacking for the Confederacy. Yeah. And and the, the the most of the plot of the movie then is them fighting off against carpetbaggers. And like, I am not shocked that this movie never mentions slavery as an idea. And I don't even think this movie is that politically invested in the lost cause of the Confederacy so much as it is just that the idea of states' rights as a motivating factor in the war, the civil war and the, the lost causes of romantic ideal just was more culturally accepted 20 years ago. But yeah. 
this idea then that you're calling them American outlaws when they're Confederates fighting an extension, what the movie basically calls an extension of the Civil War, because the movie treats the Civil War as northern carpetbaggers trying to take land away from southern farmers and that Pinkerton coming in to build the railroad is just an extension of this, that the war is over so they can't invade. So they're sending the capitalists and the police in to continue the project of taking land away from the Southerners and then having our heroes be rebels about this and then calling it American outlaws. There is a tension there that I just completely invented because the movie does not seem aware of the irony of calling the movie American Outlaws when it's about that. And this is, again, my point that this movie is just half-assed in every single way, that it can't even like commit to the retrograde and ahistorical, but also maybe borderline interesting ideological morass that it kind of stumbles its way into. It doesn't even seem cognizant that it's addressing these tensions of what it is to be an American vis-a-vis the like revolutionary fervor of the political, you know, imagination. I don't even think it I I don't think it stumbles its way into that in any way whatsoever. I I, I think what I think necess- like what it is, it's like a necessary narrative framework based upon the realities of these actual like human beings who lived in Missouri and fought for the Confederate army. I I think that's like as deep as it goes. And like, it is interesting. It's definitely, I don't think you can watch the beginning of the film in 2023 and not think about these things. When When was the last time you could make a movie this uncritical of the Confederacy? Because I again, I don't think this movie is making an overt political statement so much as that it is just again reflecting much more accepting cultural attitudes towards the Confederacy of the time. But it also feels like the twenty years that followed, and maybe even even more rapidly the past ten years, that has gone from being quote unquote neutral political ground to something that is almost like verboten. And for a good reason. And that's an interesting question. I don't know. This could be the last film that takes that kind of stance. I think CSA is three years after this. I've never seen the Confederate States of America, the the documentary, the the mockumentary by I'm blanking on his name, but the guy who co-wrote Black Klansman and Mm -hmm. the Five Bloods. And that's a Um, real full-throated assault on the lost cause. I'm trying to think. I'm trying mm. to think it's well, we're, we're also we're also talking about, as Roger Ebert said, like the death of the Westerns. So yeah, but you so don't many Westerns are about have... Confederates is the thing. They are. Uh, OK, Django so many... probably kills it dead. Right. So many movies in general yeah. are about including the general are about yeah. Confederates. Like stretching back to the history of Hollywood cinema. And, it, you know, for the most part, for most of Hollywood history, they made movies about the Confederates because they felt that it would be unfair to make movies about Union soldiers. Well, I think, but also because a lot of the, the post-Reconstruction talk is the sense of um, the Union is, quote-unquote, bullies. That being the reason when why. When the Union actually yeah. 
did fucking nothing. <laughs> Don't get me fucking started on reconstruction. No, but gonna... I'm just saying like that's that's that that's yeah. the, like the stance that like Hollywood had taken from like the year 19 like 12 through like 1965 maybe. It is it is funny that Colin Farrell makes this like totally unthinking like movie about how the Confederacy was cool and then 16 years later makes what I think might be like the best Hollywood movie about the slave owning South <laughs> in terms of like talking about how much it fucking sucked. Yeah. And I'm talking about the beguiled. Yeah. This is a pro beguiled podcast. He's I haven't also, learned that is he, Connor, is but... he a Confederate in that? No, he's a, he's union. He's, That's a union all... he's also, but he's union. an immigrant, right? Yes. But also yeah. Clint is union in the original too. Oh. Like that that is a movie about a union soldier wounded and getting getting recovering in the south. I've seen both of them. It's I have too. They're it's, both that's, really good. That's going to be a fun. That's going to be a that's fun. I'm so episode. fucking I fucking <laughs> love that movie. Um, yeah, anything left to say about American Outlaws? Well, no, just just that like in an interview I watched where he was yeah. talking about Tigerland, he he like mentions that that you know they ask him in the interview, it's Irish interviewers, and they're essentially like, how do you deal with the political ramifications of Vietnam as somebody from Ireland? And his answer was essentially like, I did not have enough time to learn everything there was about Vietnam before making this movie, so I just let Joel Schumacher tell me like how my character should be feeling like at these certain instances and not necessarily i don't necessarily think he was reaching out to uh les mayfield about the political ramifications of you know the civil war in american outlaws but i think he probably like applied a similar mentality to it of i do not have like a strong background or education about these things so i'm just gonna play it as the script tells me to um i mean you see that lack of curiosity yeah. I don't think he like again like I think just you could see it on screen how disinterested almost everybody yes. is. Oh yeah. Is. Yeah, and I think you can tell that it's pretty clear that it was Tigerland was a, a relatively small film, you know, a, a relatively small film with a relatively grueling filmmaking process yes. behind it. And you can see why somebody like him would be so quick to accept an offer to be in a film like this at the time. I don't yes. think he ever anticipated that like by the time this movie premieres, he had already filmed minority report and hearts. Yes, he had, yeah. you are, you are correct. Minority report shoots weirdly early. Yeah. Well, they needed to because they had so many special effects, so many effect day. shots, but yeah. <laughs> Even by Spielberg standards, with Spielberg liking to have the long effects, like the long post periods on those movies, I yeah. still have always felt that Minority Report shoots like earlier than it maybe should. I'm just, God, part two weeks, two weeks. Two part of me weeks. feels um. Part of me feels like that's probably attributed to again, like we're talking about 2002 and 2003, so the effects. Yeah, process maybe. is a lot different, but also Spielberg's working on so much stuff at that time. Well, yeah, like at the same time, simultaneously, he's working yeah. on these things. God, it's Ugh. insane. Ugh. Yeah, Ugh. I'm so fucking excited to talk about a good movie. I have okay. I want to make the case for Casino Royale. You know, I want to move into a couple things. Yeah. What I like about Casino Royale is that it's almost like uh miscongeniality, except 
<laughs> Except instead of becoming instead of becoming a pageant girl, he's becoming the like suave upper class Bond that we know so well who wears like the most expensive clothing and drives nice cars because when that movie starts he's a guy who's just like a brute from (laughs) the royal navy who you could just imagine like he's on leave just drinking like the worst mixed drinks at some brothel and getting a lady of the night and then heading back to whatever ship he's stationed on and casino royale casino royale is literally like a movie about him learning how to dress nice and learning how to act in high society because of the necessities of having to go to this billionaire poker game to beat this <laughs> maniacal terrorist funder. Um, and that's what I think I like about it so much. And I like that he I, genuinely falls in love and I like yes. that the girl breaks his heart. And it's like, that is in a those very, terms, that is a very good case. And just to uh, emphasize that um, there's that bit in Casino Royale that is supposed to be him being a cool badass where they ask him if he wants his martini shaken or stirred. And he says, do I look like a give a damn? Yeah. 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 But <laughs> bond actually uh, orders them shaken for a reason. Exactly. Yeah. And it's like, I like, I like how all those bits in the movie are like, he's inexperienced. Like he yeah. hasn't figured it out yet. He's still working his way up there. And I like what I like that one better than the other Craig ones is like that's the only one where you get to see him like kind okay. of like a mischievous bond where he's having fun doing some of the stuff like every other Craig movie he's the tortured hero he's the tortured killer you know all right interesting I like it I like it um okay another thing I want to say I'm just rolling through them now, yeah I guess because I there's nothing to say about this film really no. um but <laughs> I could not stop thinking of maybe because Colin is Irish doing American. I could not stop thinking of this Douglas Sirk Rock Hudson film called Captain Lightfoot. Not seen Captain is, Lightfoot. Yes, which is about like a Robin Hood esque bandit in Ireland during the the Irish rebellion, prolonged <laughs> Irish rebellions of the early 1800s, and. I just could not help but think about how that film is also a by the numbers, like action melodrama that stars an actor at the, like a great actor at the beginning of his career, who's doing something that he doesn't necessarily do throughout the rest of his career. And is also trying to put on an accent and, and things like that. And I just think about that film, like at least you have Douglas Sirk with the colors, (laughs) at least, at least there's something about the melodramatic aspects of that film that allow it to be interesting i think what i couldn't help but think about when you're talking about like this movie has an action set piece where colin farrell's running across the top of a train that's completely shot in close-up with the Mm -hmm. telephoto lens so you can't even see him you compare it to skyfall you compare it to a bond film you can see him on the train top you can see it from a distance. You can see the movement. You can see the dynamicism at play. You don't have any of that. Every action scene. I don't know if he was like, I don't know. This might be too much credit. I know Mayfield went to USC, so he must have seen some of this stuff. I don't know if he's just gravitated towards Kurosawa trying to like shoot action and speed the way Kurosawa did. But there's a reason why it works with Kurosawa because each of those shots are set up so perfectly that like even 
in the seven samurai when you're watching the samurai run across the battlefield and telephoto and close up it that effect allows them to move with so much speed and ferocity that it's like jarring to see them like that this is shot in a way that literally flattens every piece of action every piece of movement that's being done on screen and there is just nothing of interest. There's nothing that draws the eye in yeah. and there's nothing. I mean, yeah, I think the most damning thing you can say is that you on your own accord decided to watch a bunch of other Les Mayfield <laughs> movies uh, just to better have context for this. And as far as I can tell, you have no take on Les Mayfield. <laughs> well, okay. So Encino man is a movie that is, is essentially like a 90 minute long mtv sketch like if there was an mtv sketch comedy show and they made one of those sketches into a 90 minute long movie you get encino man but at least in encino man you have brendan Fraser doing crazy stuff and i kind of hate him but you have paulie shore being paulie shore so like at least there's aspects of abnormality at play that you can and there are there are some visual gags in that movie that like are genuinely funny like there's a gift that goes around for that movie all the time of um sean astin in class like waving to a girl and then her boyfriend leans into frame and just nods his head no like that's from encino man and that is like a genuinely funny visual gag but again like the the movie has no emotional stakes it has no real character arc to speak of it's not a real movie in that sense but it's enjoyable flubber makes even less sense (laughs) i think i was like we're talking about a man who in that movie has created two different kinds of artificial sentience (laughs) and doesn't contend with it at all in no way whatsoever and he invites he invents like an endless energy source and his first idea is like i'm just gonna coat a bowling ball in it in my basement that's filled with expensive lab equipment and throw it around and see what happens but at the end of the day like similar to encino man you have robin williams just going off the wall with the slapstick comedy so like you have something that is like still drawing your attention to it the blue streak is like a similar thing where instead of robin williams you have um Martin Lawrence, right? His last name. Yeah. Yeah. Johnny. Yeah, of course. Whoa. I don't know why. I don't know why. I'm I, I, do that. I have to defend Martin Lawrence? No, no, you don't. You don't. I like Martin Lawrence. Skill just... as an actor and no, not no, no, no. his personal life. <laughs> let me let me tell you right now. His show is called Martin. So I only know yeah, him as know. Martin. Yeah. Um, but even in the blue streak, you have Martin Lawrence like going crazy. It's the it might be the craziest he's ever been in terms of slapstick comedy throughout his career. At one point, he played he's like he's trying to infiltrate the police station early on in the movie, and he puts on like the fakest fake teeth and a wig you've ever seen, oh, and like headphones and glasses, like Rex Specs goggle glasses, and he plays this like drugged out like pizza delivery man. And it's like, that might be the movie that makes the most sense. There's no real plot holes, despite it, like everybody in the movie being one of the dumbest people, like in society, (laughs) in any society. But that movie makes sense without plot holes. And there's interesting Martin stuff happening with him just going all out with the comedy. You don't have anything like that going on here. No, they uh, they should have given Martin Lawrence uh oscar nomination for the beach bum that is my, my oh martin my lawrence God. hot take the the boat driver right yeah like, 
I I do not endorse Martin Lawrence the person, only Martin Lawrence the performer. <laughs> you do love Bad Boys, don't you? I do love Bad Boys. Yeah. Oh, did you see the Bad Boys Four promo? Yeah, I and I do. I love I your cried. I love your theory that Bad Boys Three takes place in a world where Bad Boys One and Two are like films that exist in that. Not world. just that exist, but that everyone <laughs> yeah. has seen that and has know seen. intimately, and that's why Bad Boys Three is good as hell. Yeah, it's not as good as Bad Boys Two, but it's probably better than Bad Boys. But yeah, this guy, this guy, Les yeah. Mayfield. He made not a very these good movies. Director. He made a couple more that I was like, I'm not even gonna bother trying to watch. Like, I think yep. one with Cedric the Entertainer, maybe. Um, and yep, there's nothing more frustrating, I think, than a movie like this that you actually like sit down and give it time because the whole time you're just thinking about the better stuff you could be watching. The the only thing I will say about Les Mayfield, um, just which I think actually does kind of give an example of why he's so boring as a director is before Les Mayfield was a uh, a filmmaker in his own right, he produced making of features for document making of documentaries um for real actual movies for adults like he directed like the back to the future making of the roger rabbit um making of it appears he directed part of the back to the future ride which is cool but i think most notably he um he produced hearts of darkness the 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 documentary about the making of apocalypse now which I think kind of leads to how kind of inert he is as a filmmaker is that he's like such a functionary in that yeah. way. He's but, a producer. It's still, it's still like, I, I don't know how you, I don't know how you can make so many films that say nothing. <laughs> it's absolutely not. Eh, well, you can yeah. if you're a hack. Yeah. All right. I have a game for you because we keep talking. We have now you're talked gonna... about this movie. I'm so sorry, man. I I I feel you got like, another thing. No, no, I feel like I'm betraying you because I feel like I still have. Whenever I get Novocaine, like I did yesterday <laughs> at the dentist, it it hits me for like way longer than I think it hits a normal person. I feel like I'm still feeling it, and that okay. uh, that joined with movie Novocaine is like, which is what American Outlaws. Yeah, is. it's movie Novocaine. Like <laughs> it'll numb your entire system. My, my brain hurts just talking about this movie and we've almost been talking about this movie for the runtime of the movie well, which normally Bond for 30 minutes but i'm saying i apologize because i know no. you're gonna have to cut like i will cut so much of this out nothing <laughs> i'm cutting nothing <laughs> except well, at, for the one bit where we flubbed a line at the start of the recording at least the minority report episode would be good Ugh. i'm excited for hearts War. Yeah, Hearts War is good. Yeah. yeah. I think well, this not, is... not not the movie is good, but like we'll we'll get to it. make we'll get to make that decision. Like there's interesting stuff at play. I I do not think there is that much we have in the pipeline that is this nothing of a movie. Because all the other stuff that like is coming down uh that just people don't talk about ever, at least there are like 
more interesting actors to get into the careers of than well, when Scott you think, When you think about like Colin's bad films, like films that are considered bad, if you're thinking about something like Alexander, it's like, we're going to talk forever. I'm not, I'm not we're gonna talking have... about Alexander. I'm talking about like Pride and Glory or London Boulevard or Dead Man Down or yeah, yeah. Solace. But horrible like bosses or something like that. Oh, horrible bosses. There's a lot to get into. <laughs> Is but there? all those movies I <laughs> just mentioned, we can talk about Salma Hayek. We can talk about Kieran Knightley. We can talk about Anthony Hopkins. Like. This movie gave us Scott Kahn and Ali Larder. We didn't even talk about Ali Larder. She's not good in this movie. She's but is there? Is, she's given one good performance, and it's in Final Destination Two. She's not even that good in Final Destination One. And she had Two, whipped cream she, on her boobs and uh, blues. The only <laughs> the only good thing about that is that it gave us the really good joke in not another teen movie with Chris Evans. With Chris Evans, <laughs> yeah. where he turns around, he's got the banana in his asshole. I fucking love not another team movie that that is a masterpiece when we do Chris Evans on this podcast that's gonna be that we'll have to change the premise of the podcast I think to do Ooh. It. <laughs> Ooh. Uh, you know you know who I would nominate for an Academy Award I swear to God who? Chris Evans and not another team movie I mean, okay, if you feel that strongly about it. I 100% do. Anyway, I have a game for you to close us out. Let's do it. Last week, I quizzed you on what the numbers.com says are the top five highest grossing Vietnam War movies. And so this week, I went to American Outlaws, and I went to its keywords. So I had to do a similar quiz. Oh, boy. Okay. And you thought it was going to hit you with Westerns. But I'm not. I want you to tell me what the top five domestic box office unadjusted, the top five highest grossing historical fiction movies are. Oh, God. The top five highest. And, grossing and again, historical fiction I have movies? chosen this list over the Western list because it's insane. It's oh, my God. OK, this. Um, OK, well, number one's really easy. Well, it's not Avatar. It's not it's okay. Not, oh. It's Titanic. It's Titanic. Yeah. Okay. The only normal movie on this list. Oh God. <laughs> <laughs> like it's the only one that you would if I if I like no. said historical fiction that you no, that, there's one other movie on this list that I think qualifies un- sensibly as a historical fiction. It's unadjusted, right? Unadjusted. So Titanic Gone with the Wind like one. isn't there. No. Yeah. Gone with the Wind is at number twelve. I mean that's pretty crazy for yeah. unadjusted. Think about how think about how much million. money man yeah. gone with the wind has yes. made over its lifetime. Yes. yes. Like um okay. Um I'm I'm assuming most of them are re- like in the last like 15 20 years. You would you would be correct about most of them. I'd be correct about most of them. Um his unadjusted I numbers. I just don't know off the top of my head like what would stick out and i'm scared that something like x-men days of future pass is gonna end up in there (laughs) well if you remember x-men was only number two on the vietnam list yeah so do you think it would be on this list no no i'm saying i'm scared something like that is gonna show up like captain america the of the first avenger 
is that is that your guess? Historical fiction. I mean, that's not on the list. That's not on the list. Uh, it does not look like any Marvel movies are on the list. That's that's a joy to hear. Although because well, Marvel movies them. are set in the present. I guess Captain yeah. Marvel could be on the list. It's not. By the standards of what's on the list, Captain Marvel could be on this list. Oh, God. <laughs> okay, well, okay. You know what? No, I would say three of the four remaining movies are at least to some degree about notable periods in history. One of these movies is just set in the past. Oh, God. <laughs> about, yeah, it's like, this is so frustrating. I, okay, cause... I said, I said, this is my hint. I said yeah. that Days of Future Past was only number two on the Vietnam list. That doesn't mean that something else on the Vietnam list isn't on here. Oh, American Gangster? No. Forrest Gump? Yes, Forrest Gump is number Forrest three. Gump. All right, I'm going to give you your years remaining. Let's do it. 2006, 2006, 2017, and 2008. Now, I will say this. We discussed the director of the 2006 movie on this episode. On this episode? Yes, we brought him up. I, not, I specifically brought him up. It's not Gore Verbinski. It is, is Gore Verbinski. Oh, my God. I don't know what movie he made in 2006. In 2006. <laughs> <laughs> that made $423 million in the United States. It made $423 yeah. million in the United States. And it's, so, that's shocking. And it's like, what historical counts as... fiction. Man, 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 man. Okay. Gore Verbinski, Gore Verbinski. Right, what do you think of what you think he of Gore Verbinski? Fifth Element? Right? No, no, that's no. Sense. That's Luke Besson. That what him? do you think of when you think of Gore Verbinski? What's his most famous movie? I don't know. Really? Okay, if you're not going to yeah. get that, it's Pirates of the Caribbean 2. Oh. Is, is the 2006. Okay. Did the number... make the fifth element? Sorry. No, Luke Besson no. made the fifth element. Luke... See, this is where, this is where, I'm, this is where I mess up yeah. between the two of them. Wait, number... go, through, go through other Gore Verbinski movies for me real quick. So the, Ring, lock it in. the Ring. The Ring. Yeah. Mouse Hunt. The First Three Pirates. The Lone Ranger. A Cure for Wellness. Rango. Gotcha. Okay. Okay. Number five on this list is another director we mentioned this episode. Okay. And a director we'll be talking about in a couple of weeks. Okay. Is it? It came Spielberg? out in 2008. It is Spielberg. And in it 2008... came out in 2008, and it's historical fiction. This is a franchise film. I'm trying to work back. Oh, is it Indiana Jones? Indiana Jones four. <laughs> All right. That's so disappointing. The number four movie. 2017. The number four movie, 2017. Yeah. Not just 2017, but. Not just 2017. Specifically. And this might mean nothing to you because you're, I don't know how much of a box office nerd you are. This movie opened on Labor Day weekend, which is traditionally a really bad weekend and was such a big hit that it like threw off the numbers for Labor Day being bad. It was, I believe, the highest grossing R-rated movie of all time until Joker came out. I believe it out it, it took that title away from Passion of the Christ and then Joker took it away. It had a sequel that nobody liked. It is ostensibly historical fiction. Okay, you gotta give me a minute. 2017. Yep. 
was is R-rated. Hard R. Hard R. a sequel that nobody liked. That nobody liked and that was a huge flop. <laughs> it's historical fiction. Yeah. <laughs> Why can't I remember 2017? That's not that's not uh La La Land year, right? That's, that's the year after Moonlight. That's the year after. And so that's that's like three billboards. Yes. Uh I Tanya. Based on a yeah. very widely beloved novel. Oh. That they adapted into two movies because the novel is long. Everyone was recast for the sequel. Oh, is it it? It's it! What the heck? <laughs> what the hell? It's it! I Chapter guess it takes one. place in the 60s, right? It takes place in the... No, no, no it takes place in the 80s because they had to Stranger Things it. But the book takes place in the 60s? The book takes place in the 50s and the 80s. And then they just switched it so then it's 80s and 2010s. And it's I mean, I, I, I never saw it. Too. Yeah, because it's set in the past. <laughs> my my quiz for you this week. Again, I got dental surgery yesterday. I've been feeling great. It's just what pictures have won best. What westerns have won best picture? Oh, I can do this easy. Yeah, I thought so. Well, now 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 I'm second guessing myself. Is it just is it not just Cimarron and Unforgiven? No, you got two others. There's two others. Yeah, that I think it's not, definitely not a stretch to say either of these are a Western. Interesting. Yeah. Let me let me rummage through my mind palace here. I are can you counting, help you. Are, you're not counting with, The Revenant, are you? No. Okay. Let me rummage through my mind palace. The Revenant also did not win Best Picture. Oh, yeah, of course. Spotlight. Yeah. I'm so sorry, Tom McCarthy. No, I did the same thing. I, I'll give you a hint. It's not Shane. I was like, I know Shane, Shane didn't win Best no, Picture. No, Shane yeah. did not win Best Picture. Please. It won Best Cinematography, me. though. I'm pretty yes, sure. It did. Um, yeah. Shane is a great movie. Um, God, other Westerns won Best Picture. I. You're going to punch yourself with both of them. Can I get decades? <laughs> yeah, 1990s and 2000s. I said Unforgiven. There's another 1990s one. You've we've we've no, talked, there's not. We've already talked. Oh my about... god! Fucking dances with wolves. Fuck. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Fuck. <laughs> and then in the 2000s, oh, you're counting No Country. Yes. Yeah, that, no that, country that's good. Is definitely. That's listed. good. That's good. Yeah. That's good. That's good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. You're right. Dancing with Wolves, a movie I never think about because it is <laughs> bad. Kevin well, Costner. We talk about Costner all the time. Yeah. Well, you know why yeah. we talk about Costner? Because Kevin Costner has famously starred in the three best sports movies ever made. Could you? Could... Connor always gets mad when I say that because he yeah, remembers I, what the third one is. I don't like, I don't, I do not like Draft Day. Draft Day is an American yeah. masterpiece. I, I don't I don't really hate it, but I just don't. It's not as I've given too much of my life to football to like draft care day is, about football movies. Draft Day is good Moneyball. It is, but it's like both of those movies frustrate me because it's like. There's nobody that smart in either of those. Industries. Did you see the trailer for the Air <laughs> Jordans biopic? Wait, there's a trailer. What it dropped today. Called? As far oh, as I, I can tell you this, Cole, I deleted all of my social media two yeah. weeks ago yeah. because the Eagles made the Super Bowl. And I was like, <laughs> I can't. I, I, I told myself, I was like, I will lose my mind if I like see any of the social media build the Super Bowl. No, I will most likely not be watching the game. I'm going to turn on halftime to see Rihanna and yeah, of turn course. it back That's off. That's the move. Yeah. <laughs> 
Um, um, as far as I can tell, Michael Jordan is not in the Air Jordan movie. I don't know how the hell that works. Uh, I mean, apparently I guess he's they're like, treating him. I assume he wouldn't give likeness rights or whatever, but it appears yeah. that they're treating him as this like deity that cannot be captured on screen. So they're the movie's him, about yeah. his parents. <laughs> it, it reminds me of that. Book. You know, I imagine that... them. Uh, are they treating him the way you know in Hail Caesar, like the yes, Hail Caesar movie? Jesus. In Hail Caesar. When well, he's talking I was to thinking. Jesus? Yeah. <laughs> They made a biopic of the Prophet Muhammad in the 70s that was like kind of a big deal. But because there's that, you know, Muslims think it's blasphemous. It's it's like about his uncle or something like talking to an off-screen Muhammad and like narrating the events of his life. And that does (laughs) appear to be what they're doing with Michael Jordan in the fucking Michael Jordan movie. (laughs) We're losing our goddamn minds. Yeah. Connor, you got anything else to say about this before we wrap it up? I feel like I had a few points that I wanted to make, but it's just this is a rough episode, man. This is the worst. This is I think this is the this is the worst. This is the worst for the purposes of this podcast. And maybe just in general, be for said reasons, this is the worst movie we're gonna watch. I I the movie we are going to watch that I know in my heart is worse than this movie is going to be a four hour episode. And we will not mention Colin Farrell once because that movie is a sacred tome that needs to be unpacked. Oh God. Okay. Um, you would say this one's worse than Decent Ordinary or Ordinary Oh, a hundred percent. Ordinary Decent Criminal is not good, but it's idiosyncratic. Yeah. And it seems like, borderline people were putting in effort and it's it's interesting to think about even if it's mostly just boring that one also feels like a movie where they were grasping for more resources as they were making the movie this is a movie this is a fake movie someone goes to see in a romantic comedy yeah that is what the level of movie we're dealing with here movie fucking sucks It's the worst kind of bad movie. It's the one that isn't. It is. And like I said, it's like it's shot in a way that alienates you from everything that you're seeing. And those those are my by far my least favorite movies. And there are movies with good stories that are shot in that manner that I equally dislike, like have a hard time watching because it's like there's two different mentalities at play, even in a movie like Ordinary Decent Criminal where you have a you have a filmmaker who was a cinematographer yeah. like is still trying to do in, interesting things with the visual nature of the film that movie kind of yeah. looks interesting like there, yeah. there's good shots and i mean this is another point i just wanted to touch on just because this has been a runner in the past two episodes we talked a lot last week about how Joel Schumacher and i kind of attributed to him being a gay man really understands how to look at Colin and make him look beautiful. Ordinary decent criminal, even though I don't think Thaddeus Sullivan is gay, has a similar understanding of like, this is a beautiful creature we have. We can shoot him in interesting ways. This movie is just like hot twink, shove him in front of the camera. He isn't lit interestingly. They don't seem to be catching his good sides. Like he's never like working it for the camera. Like he, he, part of it is Colin being bored, but part of it is Mayfield having no sense of what to do with a hot man on screen other than have him be naturally hot 
let me let me tell you this as well equally and also just to say like he nobody looks good in this movie ali larder no. doesn't look good in this movie like no. and it's not not that these are unattractive people these are obviously like the cream of the crop of this mm, generation of like mm, gabriel mock i'm sorry no, no i mean like i mean like they're more <laughs> yeah. attractive than anybody you'd be walking down the street sure like along you know what i mean so sure. it's like it shouldn't be a challenge to make them look good on sure. camera yeah Conceive. you get what I, you get what i'm saying in that sense agree and yet yet nobody looks good at no. all <laughs> and maybe Man. timothy dalton is the only one well, who looks interesting because he knows how to like play the camera and he's like a gigantic man compared to these people um but i will say it's like you say western to me there are like two things that my mind jumps to wanting to see one is golden hour like i want like most of the scenes to be shot during golden hour. sure and two is like i want to see mountains in the background well this is set in the south i know but the other that uh, Walter Hill one has mountains sure. in the background. Sure. And you watch it and sure. you're like, oh, yeah, well, they, this but, is a Western. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> conceded. Conceded. I'll, I'll agree with both those points. Yeah. And Man. it's like, it's like, it's like the, the search is supposed to take place in Texas. It's like clearly. Well, they like, shot it in. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Well, the searches is a bad movie. Um, no, but it looks great. The sure. searches looks It great. looks yeah. fine. Monument Valley is doing a lot of heavy lifting. That fucker. That's fine. Like it's there at least. This one doesn't even have anything like that. Fuck John Ford. John <laughs> you get what Ford, I'm saying? You get what I'm ass. saying though? Like, <laughs> like if this movie was shot in Monument Valley, it would immediately be like ten times better. Just for having that kind of like. Yes. It also yeah. would look weird. <laughs> it would. It would. Yeah. Because it's well, it, not if they didn't say Missouri over and over again. Yeah. Like if Missouri. they just made it set there. Yeah. You ever seen Ride with the Devil, the Ang Lee movie? No. That movie's not great, but that is like the better version of what this movie is trying to do. Okay. In a lot of ways. I mean, there's a lot of, like, again, like... Well, that movie's about Missouri bushwhackers in the late years of the Civil War. Like, that movie, this movie feels in a lot of ways like edges sanded off populist programmer. I am, I am, I am American outlawed out. Can you think what is this the last film? Is this the last film that has like of a, a neutral view of the civil war of people? Who well, neutral. Just, I mean, I was saying yeah. that to you. I no, I'm I, saying I mean, like, I'm yeah. asking right now. Like, I can't yeah. think of, I can't, I can't think of one leader. I'm sure we're wrong. I yeah. mean, it's a gradual thing that happens. And I do think it happened more accelerated in the past 10 years that we kind of shook off a lot of how we felt we white mainstream culture felt about the civil war. Um, but yeah, I mean, you couldn't make a movie like this today and for good reason, because it's horseshit. Well, I hope not. Yeah. <laughs> if you made a movie like this today, you would be being intentionally subversive. And there's a good kind of that subversion. There's a bad kind of that subversion, right? Like Ang Lee, when Ang Lee makes Ride with the Devil, he's, I mean, again, I don't think that movie fully works, but he's not taking the fact that that movie is about, you know, Confederate guerrillas lightly. He he is aware of the fact that those characters are the villains of history. And he's interested in making a movie about those people. This movie does not have that sense. If you made a movie like this today, it would have to be either a straight up right wing propaganda track or 
someone subversively trying to make a movie about historical villains. I think what makes it but so either way what, you're subversive. I think what makes it, I think oddly enough, what makes it so inoffensive is like that the movie doesn't, it doesn't contend. It doesn't have anything to say about anything ever. Cause ever. every other movie about Jesse James, that's a good movie contends with what he's doing against the motives of what like caused him to do that. And this movie doesn't deal with that in any, like almost any way whatsoever. It's they literally almost do not have a choice, but to start robbing banks and he's it's gotta be probably i know there's a henry ford movie that i haven't seen or henry fonda sorry not henry ford it's a henry fonda movie i'm having rough novocaine come down yeah. um there's a henry fonda movie i haven't seen that i'm sure goes along the robin hood route as yeah. well because it's depression era um but i it's just insanity that a movie like this exists in the yeah <laughs> with, the, with the hindsight of 20 years yeah. later with like in in a post like Juneteenth is a national holiday, American culture. It is just wild to think that like we were at a point where we were this unblinkingly like the Confederacy had some good points. Yeah, but even but then, I, even then, it's like just think about just think about any other movie about outlaws that you yeah. think of as good that contend with the weight of having to steal and kill. Yeah. Like as a living. Oh, this movie. Which this movie not. doesn't do at all. Well, they never which, hurt anybody. They do though. They shoot people like all the time. When he's in that one bank, he shoots like seven people. God does God. Yeah. That's how no, he it, does. It's all, it's when, all you know when he's so cutesy. You know, when he's like rolling around the table, he's doing like the he's like literally rolling across the table with the guns over his head. Oh, he's like bam, well, they bam, shoot bam, bam, cops, but they don't like do they shoot civilians in this? No, I think because yeah, they only. No, shoot, I think they only shoot Pinkertons. They only shoot Pinkertons yeah. and cops. Um, yeah. But the bank robberies are so cutesy. It's like trying to do the whole like Bonnie and Clyde thing. It is. It doesn't. It is. Well, that's the other thing. Click. That's the other thing that's crazy is like, how could you make a movie this, this middle of the road, and this like disinterested, this neutral, forty years or thirty years, thirty-five years after Bonnie and Clyde or after. <laughs> Butch Cassidy. I mean, the, the answer to all the yeah. answer to all your questions is we right now are giving more of a shit about what this movie is about than yeah, anyone making this movie gave. For we can say that like effort was put into the costumes and the sets and the production value, and that's true. But I do think at the end of the day, nobody put any thought into this movie on like a thematic or intellectual level. And we have probably put more actual mental resources in the past two hours. I'll give you movie. the tough question and then we okay. can end the episode because I got nothing, okay. literally nothing else. To I'm if, head empty, no thoughts. If he had not made Minority Report when this movie releases, what does his career look like? I don't. I have to assume that in Bruges, Salvation... Does he go to rehab? Does he? Does he? It's like it's it's impossible to say. It's a good thought, but because does he get cast in anything? Like, I I will. You know, as a lead at least, does he get cast in anything as a lead? We're we're gonna have to touch on it with with when we get to Alexander. Yeah, because that's the big turning point. 
I, I said this last week and we'll, we'll get into this, but we were about to start hitting a period where he is second on the call sheet pretty consistently, but he is second on the call sheet with big names. And the way just looking at these next couple movies in a row read to me is that he is being groomed for startup. And the question is, and we'll get to when we get to it, because I don't know off the top of my head, what's the turnaround time on the productions? Because like we said, Minority Report is wrapped when this movie comes out in flops. This movie is shooting when Tigerland comes out in craters. If you say like, when when does the recruit happen for him? When does Daredevil happen for him? Like, I wonder how back-to-back all these things are, because he's clearly getting chances, right? Yeah. He has two flops in a row, but he's about to make movies where he's playing second fiddle to Pacino, Willis, and Cruz. Yeah, but the Pacino one, he is he's the lead of the film. Yeah, yeah but he's, he might be second on the call sheet, but, but he's the but lead it's of the, the film. same, yeah. it's the same energy. He's the title character in Hearts War, buddy. Oh, is he really? I believe so, yeah. Oh wow. So is he the lead in Hearts War? No, Willis is the lead. That's what I figured because yeah. Will I saw the poster and it's yeah. just it's like Willis's face big. Will, but I think I think yeah. that's a good thing we should think about as we get into these next couple of weeks of this like second on the call sheet period of that. I mean, I'll tell you when I saw American Outlaws like the title and it said that he was Jesse James. I had no idea this was like a Jesse James biopic. No I, one I, because I was this like, movie flopped. <laughs> I, no one I, gives a shit. I figured based on this part of his career and the fact that I had never heard or anything about this movie that it was like. I figured it was like one of those movies where people run into historical figure, like a Forrest Gump where people like periodically yeah. like encounter a historical figure. And he like shows up as Jesse James at one point. I, <laughs> I'm so uh, sorry, Thank man. you for listening. We'll be back <laughs> next week with Hearts War, uh, a movie I'm legitimately very excited to dig into because I've never seen it. And I don't know, turn of the century Willis, man. They're, they're, that, that's a very interesting period for Bruce. I mean, this is like right after Sixth Sense. You know? This is right after Unbreakable. We'll yeah. get into it. We will talk about it next week. Hearts War. We'll be back. In the meantime, fuck the Confederacy. It's all been a pack of lies.